the Intersection Education Podcast. Schools are the place where different institutions, services, and societal influences meet. In other words, they're at the intersection of children's lives. In the Intersection Education Podcast, we speak with insiders and outsiders of the education world to try to gain new insight and improve our schools. And welcome to the Intersection Education Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Haley. This week, I speak with Dr. Jody Carrington. Now, Dr. Carrington is a clinical psychologist who has spent most of her career working with children and families who have experienced trauma. Having grown up in rural Alberta, she worked on the mental health inpatient units of the Alberta Children's Hospital in Calgary for 10 years and is now back in a rural setting, working in private practice, speaking around the country, writing her book, and raising her family. Jody is a passionate believer in the power of the relationship with people we love, lead, and teach, and that the core of everything she speaks and writes about comes down to this. We are wired to do hard things, and we can do those hard things so much easier when we remember that we are all wired for connection. Now, if you like what you're hearing, connect with Intersection Education. You can go to our website, intersectioneducation.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Intersection Ed, or even on Facebook. And we really appreciate it when you rate us on iTunes and leave us a review. Here's my conversation with Dr. Jody Carrington. Dr. Jody Carrington, welcome so much to the Intersection Education Podcast. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for being on. I, you know, we we talk to educators. This this podcast, um, the real reason that it exists is to help um, help them. And so I want to have a question that is really focused on teachers and, and start with a question there. I really love what you say about how it's important for teachers and educators to take care of themselves. I want you, why do you say that? What's why is it so important that teachers are bringing their their best and that they are taking care of themselves every day? Oh my god, you, like come out of the gate with an easy question, would you? <laughs> uh all right. So here's the thing. I um uh, so I'm a psychologist. I'm not an educator. I've never worked in um uh K to 12 setting teaching. But I think that some of the holiest work that teachers do on the planet um, is uh, hanging out with kids like my babies every single day. And here's why I will spend the rest of my career um, hanging out with educators, because our, my babies, I got three of them, if they don't stand a chance, if the people who hold them aren't okay. And we in the world of education, as I have come to understand it over the last five years, do a really great job with the children. So our curriculum, our literacy and numeracy is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. We, in, if your child is in the education system in North America, the curriculum's okay. We got it. And they're going to be great in many capacities because we are so far advanced in many aspects of the curriculum. What we don't do an awesome job of is looking after the people who hold them. 
In fact, we do a really shitty job of that. Okay. So what happens is when I go into any school division or when I started working with school divisions, I would say, okay, so what, what do you have in place for the, for, you know, what are your resources? Where do you put all your resources? And they say, oh my God, we got so much stuff for the kids. We got uh, the best literacy and numeracy. We got whiteboards where shit flies out of it. We got, um, everybody got a Chromebook. Um, and then I say, what, what do you do for teachers? What do you do for bus drivers? What do you do for your superintendents? What do you do for your principals? Uh, what do you do for the secretaries? And then, uh, they're like, the, the response is always like this. <laughs> Crickets. Right. Crickets. And then they come up with stuff like this. Like, well, we do, um, we do potlucks. Um, and nothing says you matter. Like bring your own food, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So. We know this to be true in any other field. Like we're so super clear about this in marketing and even in sports psych, um, that if you set up a team uh, to really have this idea of collective effervescence, to want to play hard together, even the underdogs work way better than uh, having one superstar, it's because they believe there's a common goal to the end. And what we don't do enough of, I think, is really what do we do for educators? And so we're really concerned about kids, which is which is great. I mean, I'm a child psychologist. I'm concerned about kids, too. Uh, but but we're doing OK in terms of, um, you know, programs for their mental health, programs for anti-suicide, anti-bullying, how not to eat a Tide Pod, um, you know, all of those kind of things we got. But what we don't have is is how do we look after educators? Yeah. And so then we come up with stuff, right? Like that is, um, you know, basic kind of things like give them a yoga pass or, you know, deal with these, uh, you know, just self care. That's what we yeah. need to do. We yeah. need, you need to take care of yourself. Here, here's a problem with self care for me is that it's, um, it just often can feel like another burden. If you're not putting yourself first, then it feels like another burden and another thing on your schedule. So not only now are you supposed to have your marking done, you're supposed to figure out friggin' power school. I don't know what power school is, but I, I feel like you don't need that. And, um, you, you know, you have to do all of these things. Plus like, let's volunteer. you got to do parent teacher. you got to do all of these kind of things to be great. And you can't really be crazy in your community because everybody's watching you. Okay. So all of those things are on your plate. And in addition to that, it's like, could you also take care of yourself? Put yourself first. Yeah. And and the problem with that is that like that I think is really setting us all up to fail a wee bit because um I said am I allowed to swear on here? I think I already Sure, did. absolutely. You can, you can edit it out if, you, if it's unacceptable. <laughs> but but I think balance is bullshit. Yeah. There there is no place where this is going to happen in terms of having balance and I think what we need to think a little bit more about. I see the finest educators on the planet are the ones who not only partake in some self-care, so self-care feels good. Self-care is like having a glass of wine, um, uh, going for a massage, uh, making sure you, you know, read a good book, all those kind of things. Self-growth in comparison means you're going to be a better educator next year than you are this year. Self-growth means you're going to get to June. Imagine this. This is really interesting to me for educators. Imagine one time you're going to get to June and be like, hmm, it's got here fast. Huh? I can't wait. I don't know if you know this Corey, but like I, I say this to educators all the time. June comes the same time every year. Did you know this? Right. You, you mean it's not variable depending on no. uh, all these other conditions? No, 
that one time. And I, and I often, like, I love to give uh, talks in schools in September and November because, like, the uh, eyes are up, the shoulders are back. They're like, bring it. We got it. Anytime after November 15th, I'm like, oh, God. like, I got to stand on my head and spit nickels. And, and here's why that worries me, because I don't know, like, I don't think educators appreciate their power. I don't think they know how amazing they are, that to so many children, they are heroes. To so many families, they are heroes. And nobody, most of the time, they never know it. Most of the time, they never know it. So what do you think? So I think about this now as a, as a leader of a school, and, and you don't need to be a leader to, to think about these things deeply. You've talked a little bit about the yoga passes and how self-care can be sometimes a burden, what do you think about when you're saying what systems can do, what schools can do to make sure or to help teachers do that self-care? To can we can we develop a system? Is it more of a culture? Or is it more things? What do you what do you think about when you are suggesting things for schools and systems to do to help with that compassion fatigue and and the self-care? <laughs> yeah. So I think two things. I think there is culture is a huge piece. Jimmy Cassis wrote the forward to my book. He's uh, a big guy, uh, an educator who I really respect in the U.S. And he's written a book called Culture Eyes, really focusing on as a collective group of uh, particularly our leaders in the school. How do you set the tone? How do you look after your staff? How do you, you know, if you've got six kids lined up in one staff, you take the staff every time. Because I mean, barring safety concerns, because the deal is, how do I make sure these guys are in the trenches for me? So I'm not always kind of doing things, uh, you know, trying to put out fires to keep everybody warm. Right. How do I encourage people to be like, no, you've got this 110 percent. And most of the time what I talk about is we need less technological resources and way more food. We need meat trays. We need, you need to put, this is what you need to do. You need to put up uh, two Chromebooks on Kijiji and then you take that money and you have high quality meat trays for your staff in the staff room from now until the end of time. Because what happens is like, you know this, what happens when you put high quality food in a staff room? It's amazing how many staff members you see that you haven't seen for a while. It's like they come out of the woodwork. I was like, oh, you, you're still here. I thought you were away to, oh, hi. Yeah. Even the assholes come out, which is exactly what you want. And you don't buy the cheap stuff. You got a good, like, it's got to be good Ukrainian sausage uh, cut up with cheese and all those things. Um, because I think so much of this is like when we kind of get into this place of uh, telling each other that they matter, we kind of start to create a movement, right? You're important to me. And pretty soon then the jokes start to happen. And then pretty soon the joy starts to happen. And, you know, again, I'll just tell you a quick story. I, I spoke to a teacher not long ago and I said, you know, what's your why? Why did you get into this business? And this is often how I start with, with educators. Why, why do you do this holy work? Um, and you know, he said to me, I became a teacher because I thought such cool stuff happened in the staff room. And I said, what? He said, I didn't have very much growing up and every day I would come to school and we were never allowed in the staff room. And I would always hang out outside because I heard such joy. I heard laughter and fun. And it is the only time I heard people, adults having fun with each other. And he said, I decided really early that I was going to do anything I could to get into that staff room. 
And so that's why I became a teacher. And like, it busted my heart because most of the time people are like, oh, I had this teacher that inspired me or I had this other inspired. And it is the relationships that staff had with each other that propelled this kid to devote the rest of his life to other kids. And it was like, oh my gosh, that culture that we create is so powerful on so many levels. Not only like when you work with a good team, you want to be there. You, yeah, you need me at seven 30. I, yep. You bet. When, uh, there's fun, there's joy. There's all of those things. You can, you know, laugh at like, Holy God, there's another lice outbreak. <laughs> Sweet Jesus. You know, like when those things happen, how do we have each other's back? Um, and, uh, stay in the trenches because so much of the hardest work that kids do, unfortunately is in the walls of the school because emotional regulation, learning how to make sense of hard things in life can only be taught in the context of relationship. And you guys spend more time during the run of a school week with my children than I do. Yeah. And that leads us really right into what I wanted to get into um, and talk to you next. And that's, and that's this whole idea of relationships and how we support those, those tough kids. I, I, I love that line. It's like, yeah, there's the tough kids. And you know what? Uh, the ones who need it the most are going to be the hardest to give it to. And so I just really like how you're saying that. But, you know, I'd like you to talk about what you think it does for those kids, those hard kids, the ones who, who are going to be difficult to love. What does it mean for them when there's an adult that really, that really shows they care, that, that takes time to, to show them that they mean something in this world? What do you think it does from your view as a psychologist? Yeah, I think that's such a good question. You know, I think that some of our most, um, formative experiences, some of our most corrective experiences happen in a moment. So I could create um, a trauma in one moment and uh, I can put uh, a kid on a path to healing in one moment. And it often isn't because I taught him the best literacy or the best deep breathing strategy. It was because when he came through the door, I lit up. We, when uh, he came through the door, I asked about his hoodie. Um, I noticed that like he got an eyebrow piercing. I noticed little things. And when you think about as a human being, when people notice you, for example, the last time you were in a hockey rink or you were at a grocery store and somebody said to you, oh my gosh, you, uh, you, my, you had my kid in grade six. You're amazing. Like, what do you want to do? You want to make out with them. That's what you want to do. And we, we never, listen, we never outgrow that. And oftentimes when kids are in their formative years, making stupid decisions with hoodies up and hair down and vaping, uh, very few people look at them and light up. Very few people are like, Oh, I love that about you. Right. And you can take these kids aback just by lighting up. It is such a underused over the top powerful skill that if you want to make any one alteration in your teaching practice between now and June to make you feel like you're given something or getting something back from this light up. Yeah. That's it. Hey, you used a word that I think is getting tossed around a lot and, and which is good, but, but the flip side of us saying trauma and trauma, this and trauma, that and trauma, that is it's, it's kind of getting lost the, the, the meaning of it. When you're talking about trauma, what, what's the definition, the working definition that you, you're using for, for the word trauma? So it is any experience encoded in terror. 
I'm taking a second. I just got to digest that one. Uh-huh. I know. Any, right? any so, second encoded in terror. Any experience. Okay. Any experience encoded in terror. So listen, there's a lot of research lately that, that schools really want to be trauma-informed or trauma-sensitive. They want to sort of work on that capacity. And there's a number of documents out. Even Alberta Ed has put something out that really require, or, you know, outlines, you know, what it means to be trauma-sensitive. Uh, Susan Craig in 2016 wrote a book called Trauma-Sensitive Schools. Um, there's a couple of other programs that I think are really trying to address that. There's some specific things uh, in the literature that would say, if you experience these things, you will have, you're much more likely to have a PTSD response or a uh, response trauma. So the ACEs research, the adverse childhood experiences stuff, that's one of the most highly cited works in the world of trauma. But what I think is really critical from an educator's perspective is understanding that there will be some kids who if they had experienced something encoded in terror, it can be, for some kids, it's a dog bite. For some kids, it's sitting in a refugee camp. And there'll be other kids who survive a refugee camp with zero trauma, which is, I mean, with a, very little trauma, right? So let's pretend they're in a refugee camp and they're with primary caregivers, mom and dad, who are calm and regulated. And they are sitting with their babe and they can say things like, you know, the kid's like, well, you know, what is that? And and dad can say, listen, dude, it's just big, net, loud noises. We are safe right here. Let's get some sleep. You, you cuddle in beside me and they'll say, I don't, this is not very comfortable. I know, but we're here today and we got it. Mom and dad can be scared shitless, but really keep this baby in a calm body. So even when lots of crazy stuff is happening, this guy isn't encoding his experience in terror. Okay. Mm -hmm. The other thing that always makes a lot of sense to me about this stuff is that when you think about it never has a drunk driver gotten PTSD. So at the scene of an accident, they are in a calm body, right? Because they're intoxicated. So they can look around and be like, holy shit, dude. But they're not in a state of extreme terror, which means that they won't encode that experience. They won't have to shatter that experience in their brain. And so most times when I work with police officers, it is required when you come upon a scene to deconstruct it in your head so that you can do it piecemeal, right? Okay, this is here. This is here. I got to deal with this. If you took it in as a whole, you would start to then really get emotional. This is somebody's child. This is somebody's wedding ring. This is, you know, whatever the deal is. So I got to splinter that. In order to make sense of that, I got to put those things back together in a calm body. Yeah. I got to be able to be like, okay. Okay, you did the best you could. What what would you have done differently? All right, you deep breath for me, right? Let's get a snack, let's get something to eat. Let's make this make sense of this experience because we're wired to do all of it. Yeah. We're yeah. wired to do all of it. But we are only we can only process it when we are connected in that in that way. So such a good question about trauma because I think we use it all the time like it's a buzzword. Um, we know for certain that the earlier the trauma, the more severe the trauma, the more experiences of terror-inducing um, things will result in kids functioning poorly. I mean, the correlation is there. Um, but it doesn't also, you know, I think undo the fact that, that a one-off trauma can also severely um, result in complex issues. Right. Um, and also we've had kids that, you know, that survived significant stuff and we're like, how are they doing that? Um, there's new research out now called the benevolent, um, sort of the, the, they really refer to it all the time as like angels in the nursery. 
how many corrective experiences do kids have along the way that can offset some of those those aces or those really hard traumas? And do you know what one of the questions is? You get a you get a question. It's, it's similar to the aces research where you get a score out of ten. Um, one of the questions on that scale, uh, benevolent scale, is did you have a teacher who saw you? That is how powerful your work is. You can offset some of these babies' most difficult experiences just by lighting up with a kid. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And and the other question, one of the other questions on there is, did you like school? Mm-hmm. So kids we find who like school or know of a, a, a teacher who had them uh, can completely change the trajectory of their life. That's crazy to yes, me. Yes, absolutely. We see the power right? in it all the time, right? Uh, I totally agree. Hey, I want to get into something that you were talking about. True or false question. True or false emotional regulation outcomes should be included in the curriculum at every single grade. Why? Okay, so I would say, I mean, I love the idea of it. I, like, do I have to say true or false? I, I, I would be more inclined to say true. Okay. Um, my concern is then, you know, how we start to label kids as emotionally dysregulated and whether we then think that that is an end game. So oftentimes <laughs> when we diagnose a kid with ODD, just time um, to calm down, right? Just time to, yeah. yeah, right? That's the concern. Yeah. So then when we see a kid is emotionally dysregulated, what we try to do is then tell them how to be. Mm-hmm. So we get zones of regulation on uh, very high regard. We're telling everybody they're in the red. We're doing our very best to try to tell them how to regulate. But I, I would love that to be instated in the curriculum as long as we can say, and here's how you help them regulate. This is what I need to do. So if this guy's, he's got a 10 ACEs score, um, he is super dysregulated. Um, this kid needs, um, you know, who, who's got his eyes, who knows his middle name, who knows what's going on with his mama. Is he involved? Um, individual therapy is rarely the answer with these guys. Um, primarily because I can keep a kid in therapy till they're 65. But if I send them back into a classroom where nobody understands their story, if I send them home to a war zone every night, individual therapy is a waste of time. So I need somebody on your clinical team who can really assess this baby and tell the story so that the staff then has enough empathy to get through the year. That this kicker, hitter, spitter, biter, F-U-er, um, we can see this kid differently than a manipulative attention-seeking potential kid, do you know? And how we do that as a staff team can really unite us because these babies can usually split a team right up the middle. Um, because then we get people who are like, no, we just got to love on him. And then we get other people that are like, we need to suspend him and be worried about the other 29 kids. Um, how do we get enough empathy for the good people who work in every school system that I've ever met to say, this baby's been in three foster homes in five years. It is not okay that he hurts or hits. We got to figure out how we create a sense of connection for this guy so we get the best from him. Because when he's calm and regulated, this kid's a sweetheart. When he's calm and regulated, he can learn. So not how are we going to avoid the dysregulation. What are we going to do when he loses his mind after after he's come off an abusive weekend visit with dad? What are we going to do with him? What's our plan? Yeah. And then creating the environment to be able to support that. Absolutely. Love Not it. avoid it. Because right now our IPPs are really around motivators and triggers, mm-hmm. which really is how do I keep a kid quiet, not calm? Hmm. Yeah. And that's, and again, that's switching the debate. I love it. And it's, yeah. And it speaks to the cause and it also speaks to the goal. The goal is not to just sit in your desk. The goal is to learn um, and to right. be able to, I mean, eventually you talk about uh, the environment a lot, but I also think about 
How do we hand over the control of their emotional regulation to the student? Because ultimately what we'd like long term, and, and that's a long way down the road for some of these kids, is for them to identify when they're getting dysregulated and then make a choice to do something that is going to be able to calm them down. Totally. And I think, I think again and again and again, the more you do it for somebody, you're creating a neural pathway so that they can do it on their own. Yeah. So again, yeah. There really isn't a teachable space in there for me. There isn't a time where I can give you those skills. I can teach a kid to deep breathe all day long, right? He can belly breathe. He can balloon breathe. He can blow out his frigging candles. He can do any of those kind of things. He will not have access to that in, in times of dysregulation. The most important thing I teach him is how to get regulated. Okay, okay, okay. Look at me. Look at me. Come here. Come on. Let's try this again. Um. Let's make sure we get you a drink of water and get back to it. And then we address what happened. And if I do that enough time for a kid, eventually I want the intensity and the frequency of his meltdowns to decrease. Mm-hmm. Depending on what's going on in his external environment, as an educator, I may never see that. And it's not because I'm not doing a good job. Yep. The hard part about this is our job, the job in education is to plant a seed. And rarely do we get to sit in the shade. Right? Absolutely. You know, everywhere I look, uh, I see people reading your book. Uh, we did a big group uh, buy at our school. I saw a whole uh, bunch of people just sharing and they're all talking about it. Uh, I'd like to know from your perspective, what do you think that's resonating with your book with teachers, uh, not just around uh, Canada, uh, but I've seen it all over North America. What do you think you've hit on that 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 um, that maybe they didn't have or that, that really gets people lit up about about this work? Um, well, I mean, I think I'm really funny. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, I, (laughs) um, here, here's what I think. And this is the heart of anything. If you recognize the good work that people do, they give you an ear. And I think like that, that is it. Like I often, I say this query all the time. I can't believe people pay me to talk about this shit because really it is. How do we look after you so that you can do amazing stuff? You don't get into education because you want to, I mean, people argue this with me sometimes, but you rarely, when I ask a teacher why they got into education, the best math teacher that ever was like, I, I just felt like I could teach algebra like nobody else. Usually people get into this business because somebody made them feel like they mattered or somebody didn't, and they weren't going to let that happen. So when we get down to the heart of it about why you do this stuff, it's usually around because there was a feeling at some point. So I want to do that for other kids and other people. And when we get into this place of feeling like nobody sees us, kids are ungrateful, they're unmotivated, they're disrespectful. We get back to this very fight or flight stuff with them. We got to teach them. We got to consequences and rewards, which is how we were all raised. And it worked a little better in previous generations because we had closer proximity Mm-hmm. we could do a little bit more might is right stuff because we were really a lot more connected to kids, to our parents, to our siblings. Cause we lived in smaller houses. We played on smaller hockey teams. Our schools were smaller, right? We saw each other more face to face and we believed we were way more worthy than we do today. We are, we've never in the history of the free world been more disconnected than we are right now. Yeah. And, yeah, and you can't I totally agree. That. Like I, I think we're still catching up. I totally agree with you, and I think that our we are still catching up with the consequences of that. 
we the technology has moved so fast and society has moved so fast we haven't quite figured out all of the consequences and what to do about them totally totally and we'll yeah. get there and well, I, I think we will. And I think part of the issue is then we start to sort of blame technology or the kids, you know, are on their devices too much. Listen, I, I don't think any of those things are the problem. I think really it becomes, you know, how do we counteract some of those things? And the issue is when we're exhausted and we feel overwhelmed, the easiest thing for you and me to do is to disconnect. Mm-hmm. I would much rather watch Netflix in the evening by myself than have a hard conversation with my husband. I would much rather give my kids the iPad at the end of the day because I have worked so hard than sit down and play a board game with them, right? In previous generations, they had no other opportunities. We have an exit ramp all the time because we have our phones, we have Netflix, we have TV, we have all of this stuff, which is beautiful opportunities. And I love that. I want my kids to be in a world where they experience great things. Um, But to counteract that takes human connection. It takes energy. It takes a real focus on, nope, today we're doing this. Or let's try this for 10 minutes, right? Like, let's make eye contact when we come home at the end of the day, right? Let's really look and see our partners. Let's show our kids how we apologize. Like, all of those things are not fun. All of those things, that that's, that's the growth stuff. That's not the self-care stuff. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about uh, things that are a bit more general, but maybe you'll uh, bring it back. Is there something about learning and education that you believe is true, but when you're going around and you're speaking to all these teachers, you get a heck of a lot of pushback. You don't feel like a lot of other people believe the same way. Yeah. Uh, Okay. I think a couple of things. I cannot believe every time I respond to educators or or say to educators, point out to educators that they're heroes, nobody believes me. Um, Whenever I try to compliment a staff or I'm like, do you guys know how incredibly, like it takes me 30 seconds to make the average teacher cry because it is remarkable to me how very few people have ever said, oh, I'm there has ever told um, people, uh, educators, just how much they matter. And case in point, um, you know, I, I, I had a teacher who, um, I write about this in the book. So Holly Nordstrom is who I, uh, her name was Holly Nordstrom at the time. It was one day, one experience that made me believe this is what I wanted to do for a living. I wanted to be a psychologist and I never told her that. And 25 years later, when I wrote that book and dedicated it to her, the first time we laid eyes on each other, um, both of us cried. And I just said to her, like, you have no idea, Holly. And she said, I don't have any idea. Like, and then I hugged her and I said, you know, it was this day. And I remember what you were wearing and how you made us feel. And she was like, okay, okay, very good. You have other people to talk to, I'm sure. (laughs) You know, like, it's just, it's just so crazy to me. Um, that like, there's just so much good and so much holy stuff that happens in the hallways of our school. Like I say this to teachers all the time. Do you know that not everybody, like very few people can do your job? Like you at some point in your career said, you know what I think I want to do for my life? I think I want to show up in a building and look after other people's children every day. That's what, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to get snotted on. I'm going to get told to fuck off. I'm going to catch lice and colds. And I, that feels right. I could have been a barista. I could have been an optometrist. That's what I could. Uh, no, I'm a, a teacher. That feels good. And very few people say, like, my favorite part of my day is when I deliver my kids to you. 
you know, like <laughs> I am a shit show of a parent most days. Like I am like, get in the car. And I walk into Holy Trinity elementary school with my children like this. <laughs> Good morning. And I'm just hoping that most of you have your shit together because all my kid needs to be successful in this world is to know that somebody's crazy about them. And to know, like when my kids talk about their teachers, like, oh my gosh, I hope the Toronto Maple Leafs lose because Mr. B loves the Maple Leafs and I can't wait to go into school and get him. You know, like, I'm like, yes, you do. Yes, you do. Right. Like, that's the coolest thing to me on the planet. And when they feel like they're engaged and there's something about school that's joyful for them, they're going to learn. Yeah, absolutely. Discipline, discipline follows joy. You know, I was going to ask you a question about learning environments and the most uh, positive learning experiences you had, but I think you've already covered that. You've really talked about mm. that connection and those people and how they made you feel. And so um, I'm going to skip over that one and go right into, do you have a favorite success or a favorite failure that you helped really kind of help you teach you a lesson? Something that you reflect back on, you'd be like, you know what, that moment, good or bad, I think about that. And I know now that I got to do, do things differently. I do them now. Oh, listen to me all the time. I get lessons about getting, I walk the line a lot, Corey. And I feel like I often get lessons about this, but when I think the one that sticks out as you ask that question is really, um, I had a mentor when I was at the children's hospital and I felt sort of like I could, I had this naive belief that I could change the direction of Alberta health services and child and family services. Okay. Like I felt for sure I could change the trajectory of both of those very huge ingrained programs. Okay. So I would say, I, I felt the nurses weren't doing a good job. Some nights at the children's, I would stay till 11 o'clock at night to put kids to bed. I'm like, Nope, like this is, this is what needs to, like, I need to do this until, uh, I burned out. And, uh, and I had a mentor who sort of said to me like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. Like what, let's talk about your, your influence, your capacity to influence. And he taught me probably one of the most important lessons I will ever learn in my life is that I will not make any significant change in great systems in my lifetime. I'm not that good. I am not that big. I will never be. My only job is to cast a stone. My only job is to do the best I can with what I got, with who's right in front of me in that very given day. And what matters most is what I go home to because it's a job. And if I'm going to come in and give you my very best every single day, I got to look after me. That's where the self growth stuff comes in. And I got to look after the people who hold me. So my children, my partner, uh, you know, my, my core group of friends who I think are amazing like that, that if I'm filled up and I'm good there, you got me all day long. I, I you got a hundred percent of me in this podcast. You got a hundred percent of me when I give a talk. And at the end of the day, those people mattered most to me. Um, let's get into a couple quick hitters. Uh, do you have any apps, websites, films, stuff like that that you recommend people uh, go to, use, listen, watch? I am like I am a massive believer in podcasts. I um I often listen a lot um as I'm driving because I don't have a lot of time to read. So like at the end of the day, you know, after we done all the things that we're doing. Um, I, wa I was a reader, a huge reader at one point, but now I listen to, to tons of books on Audible. 
Um, my goal is to do a book a week. I sometimes get a book a month in, but when I drive, I am really all about like, what's the latest and greatest. And so I follow a lot of really great uh, inspiring people. I only allow inspiring shit on my feeds. Um, so, you know, really great educators like Danny Steele or, um, you know, Dave Burgess always puts out great stuff. Adam Welcome always has great stuff. Um, of course, Jimmy. Um, and then, um, I really try to find a lot of female influences because there's not a lot in the world of education. Um, who, I mean, there, I mean, there's tons, Mrs. Mac, Mrs. Lori McIntosh. I follow all the time out of, um, she's in Southern Alberta doing some great stuff now. Uh, Barbara Gruner out of the States is brilliant. Morgan Michael, she does small act, big impact. Uh, she's in Vancouver. Um, and so, I try to really get a, a good perspective. Now, um, in my world of psychology, I'm always following, like Brene Brown is my hero. Um, she just got a Netflix special out that I is like, that. did you watch it? Oh, no, I haven't seen it. I saw that. I, I didn't watch it yet, but I've been kind of like holding on. I'm going to watch it with my wife oh, and uh, exactly. we'll, we'll kind of yeah. nerd out on that. Yeah. Yeah. So those kind of things and, and see um, Rachel Hollis, Tony Robbins, John Maxwell, he's really good in the world of leadership. Uh, Gary Vee, he swears beautifully, which I love. Um, there's lots of really good people. And I think that there's no longer an excuse, given the accessibility that we have to media, um, that you can't be great every single day. And um, I, I really, really rely on them because if you, I say this quite often, if you sit with the winners, the conversation is different. So if you sound, surround yourself with people who believe that educators can change the world, who really believe in promoting a positive culture, you, um, you really get away from this idea of, of being the one that's, that's sort of not doing a great job. Misery loves miserable company. And if you stay in that space long enough, you can completely, uh, you can create the shittiest education career you can imagine. So if you want to do that, here's my concern. If you're the guy rolling your eyes at the staff table, if you are the guy that is negative about every teacher and every EA and every kid, get out. Because the work that we do is holy and the babies need us to be on our game. Mm -hmm. right? And you also deserve a whole lot more out of a career than counting your days to retirement. You deserve a whole lot more out of a career because what you're doing, there's joy everywhere in the building. I mean, you, you have chosen a profession where you hang out with kids. There's nobody more vulnerable in the world than babies. And so when you get to hang out with these kids every day, you got to do your very best to find some joy so that you will be better because of it at the end of this career, yeah. not exhausted and bitter. You don't deserve that. Yeah. Hey, you talked about taking care of yourself. What's one thing that you do every day or most days that keeps you well and healthy? So I have, I have to talk about this. So I, like I've ran a number of half marathons in my life. I've always been a big runner. Um, the end goal in my twenties and thirties was to get skinny. And, um, I am, I'm, uh, made on a Ukrainian chassis. I'm going to not show you this right now, but I, this is never, ever going to be a runner's body. And in my forties, I've come to be very clear about that. Um, what I do know is I am a much better mom and a much better mom, uh, wife if I run. And I lose, I you really use that term loosely because it is a loping jog. And when I do any sort of physical activity, even, I mean, if I miss a run, 
Uh, I will try to get in a 15 minute yoga. Uh, if I miss a run, I try to really be with my kids and on the trampoline. It's the last thing I want to do. And that's, that's the definition of self growth, right? It, if it hurts, it's usually good because going for a run is so much worse than having a nap. Sitting down with a glass of wine in the evening is so much easier than pulling up my shoes and even getting on the treadmill for 20 minutes. Right. But I sleep better. I respond better to my team. I am so much better for my children when I do physical activity and drink more water than coffee. Absolutely. Or uh, other things. Abs- <laughs> uh, is there an organization or a person that really inspires you? It can be, you know, long term, could even be recently something or someone that you've seen that been like, hey, they're doing some really good stuff. Yeah, I think that, you know, there's so many people in this world of education. Kayla Delzer, um, you know, top, I think she's top dog teaching. To, uh, I'm going to get that wrong. We'll put it in the show notes. It'll be all good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she does some really great stuff. And I, <clears throat> what I really love is this whole kindness movement. And this is going to sound so cliche, but I, like Ellen has got it figured out. And this idea of like, how do you just love on people in your community? Um, just creating this sense of kindness, I think, is is always the stuff that I'm inspired by. Um, music has now re-entered my life. I have uh, really been away from music for a long time. I started. I connected with this band, this local band, who asked me to be in their music video. All so right, all right, <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> my first music video drops. This is, this is the lingo, the lingo, sorry, lingo. How do you like that? The lingo of musicians. Our, our music video drops on April 29th. And um, so I am just really appreciating that. I um, my, my dream is to get into guitar lessons with my boys uh, so that we can, um, you know, we can have music a, a much bigger part in our life. And so I find when I'm really losing it or I feel really a lot of self-doubt creeping in, I break out my very best playlist and uh, start to make a music video in my car um, and just really get reminded by, you know, inspired by all of that sort of, you know, like, let's get back to what really matters. And so music really does that for me. Sounds great. Um, I'm interested to know what's, what's, what's up next for you? What are you, what are you looking at uh, doing in the next maybe months or years? What, what can we look forward to from Dr. Jody Carrington? Oh, it's so many things. I can't even wait to get out of bed every day. There's so many things that that's exciting. Um, we just started taping the audio book. So the audio uh, Kids These Days will be up on Audible in August. We have a Get Lit conference that I'll do every year now for educators um, from now till I die. So it's August 23rd. We have it in central Alberta. Um, I'm super excited about it. We have 500 people uh, there. Jimmy uh, Cass says, I'm going to, this is a surprise, uh, which now apparently it's not because I'm telling you. Uh, I'm going to Skype him in uh, and he's going to talk a little bit about Culture Eyes. I really want this year to be focused on creating um, the culture in whatever particular school you're in to be the best you've ever been. So is it possible whether you are, you know, you've been an educator for 30 years or you are still a student teacher, um, that the best years of educating children are ahead of you. Uh, so we, I really want to focus on that um, there. And uh, then the next book, I'm going to write, um, we'll do a second uh, edition of Kids These Days that's uh, out. Um, I already got so many ideas that I missed in the first one. Um, and then uh, my next book is really uh, going to be focused on first responders awesome. uh, and their spouses. And um, it's called Hello Hero, I think. 
is the working title. But anyway, that, I'm not going to write that till 2020 or start writing that till 2020. So now I am just loving on our work with educators. And um, we just connected up in the U.S. So our first gig in, in uh, the U.S. we got uh, will be in Houston. Um, we're out in PEI. We're out in Winnipeg. On, I fly to Winnipeg on Sunday. So it's so cool to see it just sort of start to roll. Absolutely. It's uh, not only cool, but it's uh, it's needed. And so yeah. nothing but good luck. Do you know what? I want to uh, thank you. And before I let you go, let's say people want to uh, follow along with that work. What are the best ways that people can connect with you, see what you're doing, see what you got up to uh, in the kind of up and coming or uh, already? Oh, I would love it. Everything that we do uh, is up on our website, uh, www.drjodicarrington.com. Okay. Uh, we have an email list where we send out all of our events, uh, to, to our sort of, um, subscribers first. So they get all the good stuff, all our new swag, all the crazy stuff that we're doing. Um, and, um, I'm on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all those great things too. So I'd love, I'd love to have your uh, listeners follow along. That's awesome. Thank you so much for taking a bit of time. I so appreciate it and just love the message that you're given. So thank you so much. Uh, thanks for having me, Corey. It was uh, such a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Intersection Education Podcast. Just a reminder that you can connect with us on our website, intersectioneducation.com, on Twitter, Intersection Ed, or leave a review on iTunes. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next time.